we're continuing in our series uh, in the book of Judges and invite you to turn to Judges chapter 18, 1 through, uh, well, pretty much the whole chapter. So, but we'll begin with reading 1 through 5. So, uh, one of the things we've been talking about in this series is that the Bible is not meant to be a, 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 a hammer or some kind of thing to bludgeon other people with like you know our inclination when we hear a message or we read something online and that is like you know well I know somebody that needs to hear that message right we're always thinking about other people or we can be or maybe maybe that's just me uh, but it, the Bible isn't meant to be you know something to just say look what they did or look what you should do according to that or look what this person should do according to the scripture the Bible is first to be a mirror that we hold up in front of our own lives to say, what do, needs to change in me? How do I need to be made better? What do I need to learn? How do I need to conduct my life? And I say that because when we read the bizarre stories that are found in the book of Judges, it's very easy to dismiss them and think I could never do something like that. I could never that could never be true of me. And uh, we fail to see how, though it may not be that uh, stark of a, a, a contrast or, or even a comparison for our own lives, there are things and principles that we can learn about ourselves and glean from Scripture so that we can grow. In this series, we have been beginning with a question each time that really orients ourselves toward the text to help us to see what is that thing? What is one of those things that needs to change in me? What's the point of the passage and how can I glean something from this? Question for today, and I encourage you, this may be something you would like to write down just to remember and to think about this week. Here's the question. What happens when we trade faith for a cheap alternative? What happens when we trade faith for a cheap substitute or alternative? You see, the thing that we need to understand, need to realize for our own lives is that we have an opportunity to have a glorious Faith, an amazing, uh, this amazing walk with the Lord, with this, this amazing relationship with God, one with substance, one that's genuine, that's a costly faith. It's not just something we buy into that will fade away. It is something that is eternal, that we can place our trust in. It's something. Uh, beyond our imagination, beyond a comparison that we can believe in, trust in, and hold on to in our lives. The faith that was handed down by us from our forefathers and from generations and generations before that, from brothers and sisters in Christ, from, uh, from the time that Christ came and began to establish His church is a solid, real substantive faith. But the enemy would have us believe that a cheap alternative would be better. We even convince 
ourselves of a non-costly faith, something that we can pick and choose when we would like rather than this real solid, firm thing. One scholar notes that the account of Micah that we see here in chapter 17 and 18 mirrors uh, another account of scouts coming into a land and that's what happens in chapter 18. These scouts from the tribe of Dan come in and it mimics when the Israelite scouts came into Jericho and ended up being connected to Rahab the prostitute. And so this particular scholar paints a stark picture of the way Micah had illegitimized his brand of worship, where Rahab had illegitimized love and relationship and monogamy. Here, Micah illegitimizes faith in this brand of worship. False worship leads to false faith or cheap faith. Jason did an excellent job last week of showing us this worship that Micah participated in and how it was uh, weak and empty and without substance. And what we see this week is that that false worship that that Micah had in his own heart, in his own life, in his own household led to a false faith, a cheap faith, a cheap alternative, a cheap Um, substitute his whole religious construct had been built on this false premise and it was swept away from him in an instant and that's what happens with cheap faith faith that is not in this substantive solid foundation of Jesus Christ is quickly swept away why? It had no weight. It had no footing. And so in this passage, we see the account of the Danites stripping Micah of his false worship, not because they were more righteous, not because they were going to worship correctly, just because they wanted to create their own brand of false worship as well. Would you read with me in Judges chapter 18, 1 through 5? And it says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and the Danite tribe was looking for territory to occupy. Up to that time no territory had been captured by them among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent out five brave men from all their clans, from Zorah and Eshtal, to scout out the land and explore it. And they told them, Go and explore the land. They came to the hill country of Ephraim, uh, as far as the home of Micah, and spent the night there. While they were near Micah's home, they recognized the accent of the young Levite. And so they went over to him and asked him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is keeping you here? And he told them, This is what Micah has done for me. He has hired me, and I became his priest. Then they said to him, Please inquire of God for us to determine if we will have a successful journey. The priest told them, Go in peace. The Lord is watching over your journey you are going on. So what we see here is this interesting situation that this Levite who hired, uh, who had been hired by Micah to do what Micah wanted, not what God wanted. 
was now encountered by this group of Danites, these other Israelites that wanted to know and see what was going on with this guy. They recognized a different accent. They recognized he didn't fit there. He shouldn't have been there. They at least knew that, whereas Micah didn't know that, and even the Levite wasn't in the place he was supposed to be. The Danites at least understood that. You shouldn't be here. And so we see several things here in this particular five verses. Number one, we see irony in verse one. And and really, uh, there is a lot of irony in all of this. If you will recall, throughout the book of Judges, there has been a refrain. The refrain has been, there was no king in Israel, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. We see that refrain again and again and again. Different certain ways that it's said, but most, mostly it's the same refrain. It's as if in this verse, the narrator of, of the book of Judges is just tired of saying all of it. And so there's irony here. And he says, uh, he says, in those days there was no king in Israel. And he did not say the part about, and they did what was right in their own eyes. It's almost as if he assumes they're just not going to do what's right in God's eyes. They're going to do what's right in their own eyes. And you might as well already realize that and understand that. The author of Judges is helping us to see these people are so far gone, they don't even care anymore. There's no king, nobody to lead them, nobody to guide them, but they are definitely going to do what's right in their own eyes. You might as well just know. Secondly, we see them saying, why are you here? Who are you? Why are you here? How are you in this place? This is weird. This is strange. This is out of place. And that's important for us to understand and to see that the Levite should not have been there. And, and, and he was doing something he should not be doing. And these other Israelites, this group from this tribe of Dan, knew that. But it's not like they knew that and corrected him to tell him where he should be. They took advantage of the situation. And that's the third thing we see. Rather than guiding him and leading him and leading Micah to understand that they needed to get rid of all of this false worship and to do what was right in the eyes of God, they decided, hey, everything's already messed up here anyway. Let's take advantage of that and use it for our own Good. What did they say? He said, okay, well, who are you? Why are you here? And he says, well, Micah hired me. I am his priest. It's almost as if they're saying, wait a second. I didn't know you could do that. That's kind of cool. So would you be our priest for a moment? Would you guide us? And what should we do? We're going on a journey. We're trying to find some land. We're going out to conquer some stuff. Can you help us? Will you give us a word from God. Notice they didn't ask, what does God say about what we're doing? What do you say, Levite priest? False Levite priest. They bought into this apostasy hook, line, and sinker. They bought into this false worship that Micah was already participating in. They bought in real quick. God has created with grand, beautiful strokes... The world we live in, the way he wants us to do things, the lives he wants us to live, and we can never live up to those in our own abilities. 
Anything that we create, anything that we hold on to, anything that we say, hey, that sounds good, let me do that, but is not, is divergent from the way God wants us to do, will lead us to a false, cheap substitute. Anybody in here like Walt Disney World? Anybody? I know we got some folks that like it. Good. I love Walt Disney World. Um, and my, one of my favorite parks is Epcot. Anybody an Epcot person? Okay, all right, nice. Several. So one of our favorite things to do is to go and walk around the countries, right? So to go to the, the various countries. Imagine that, and I've, I've never been to Paris, France, <clears throat> which may be one day. I would love that, but... But imagine that I would go to Epcot. I'd go walking through all the worlds, like all the different countries, and I would go to France, and they have a, a miniature version of the Eiffel Tower. And imagine that I would see that and think, wow, this is amazing. And what if I went and told everyone, I have been to the Eiffel Tower? So you can understand, that's a cheap alternative, right? I mean, it's, it's cool. It's Disney World, so it's awesome. But it's not the same as the real thing. Imagine even further, and you don't even understand my lack of carpentry skills, right? You, you don't understand, but some do. Uh, ask uh, Devin about my skills on cutting down trees and Roger and Jason, I almost broke down my fence. So, but imagine that I decided I love the Eiffel Tower. I'm going to go build one in my backyard out of wood. And I just want you to know that would be terrible. It would look really bad, right? And what if I said, look at this thing I have created. It's the Eiffel Tower. Come and see it. People would think I was crazy. That's what's happened here. Right? This grand, beautiful thing God created. And here Micah is and saying, look at this cheap alternative. Look at this golden calf. Look at this calf made out of silver that we are worshiping. Look at how we're living our life. Look at my priest. I have a priest. Cool. We too often trade God's ways for our own ways and say things like, it must be right. It feels right. It seems right. We want it this way. Or even, surely God wouldn't want us to miss out on this. Surely God would want us to have it this way but it's just a cheap alternative what we see here is that we must not trade the grandeur of God for man-made insignificance don't you see how we do that every day not just not just you or me I and mean, certainly I do but our society does that we do that day in and day out we trade man-made insignificance and paraded around as if it's God's good thing. 
And we just can't do that. The second thing we see here is that we must not trade boldness for blind accommodation. Look at verses 14 through 26. The five men who had gone out to scout the land of Laish told their brothers. So they got a good report. We heard that, right? And then they said, let's go check out this land of Laish. It's a, um, a Canaanite uh, town. The people there are peaceful. They saw an opportunity. But then they said to their brothers, did you know that there is an ephod, household gods, little g, and car- a carved image and a silver idol in these houses? talking about Micah's shrine that he'd built in his own house. Now think about what you should do. So they detoured there, went to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and greeted him. The 600 Danites, see they had gone and gotten all the other Danites. The 600 Danite men were standing by the entrance of the city gate, armed with their weapons of war. Then the five men who had gone out to scout the land went in and took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols and the silver idol while the priest was standing by the entrance of the city gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. So here's this Levite priest, 600 dudes pointed at him with their weapons, right? And when they entered Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod and the household idols and the silver idol, the priest said to them, uh, I wouldn't imagine it was like, hey, what are you doing? I would imagine like, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? That's not good, right? They told him, be quiet, keep your mouth shut. Which if 600 people were shining weapons of war at you, that's probably what you would say as well. Uh, Come with us and be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be a priest for the house of one person or, you, or for you to be a priest for a tribe and family in Israel? And so the priest was pleased. <laughs> Which you would, I mean, it's kind of like a real quick change of, of uh, decision, right? A change of mind. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, shut your mouth. Okay, and I'll follow you, right? I mean, it's just this really funny, situ- kind of ironic situation. They prepared to leave, putting their dependents, livestock, and possessions in front of them. After they were some distance from Micah's house, the men who were in the house, houses near it mustered and caught up with the Danites. Notice they put all their people in front of them so that they wouldn't be behind them from Micah and his, uh, the people in his little place to come and uh, take care of, you know, to hurt them or to harm them. They were ready to fight. He said, look... You took the gods that I made and the priest and went away. What do I have left? How can you say to me, what's the matter with you? The Danites said to him, don't raise your voice against us or angry men will attack you and you and your family will lose your lives. The Danites went on their way and Micah turned to go back home because he saw that they were stronger than he was. So what we see here is though they were in the wrong, though they were doing things the wrong way, they were... They had conviction about it. Micah did this intentionally. He wanted it to, 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 he wanted the blessing and the favor of God. And that's why he had the Levite. And the Levite was there. And he's like, hey, those are, that's my master Micah's stuff. What are you doing? But they both quickly traded any kind of boldness for blind accommodation. Micah concedes quickly as well. Micah and the Levite were far gone. 
And so were the Danites, the supposed people of God. They blindly did what they wanted to do, and no one was bold enough to say, this is wrong. Or to say, we will worship the true God in the right way, in this way. No one was bold. And we must be careful to trade boldness, rightness, righteousness, to do what was right, to do what is loving, to do what is godly. Rather, and trade it, we must not trade it to just do whatever everyone else is doing or what will keep us safe or what will keep us alive. I think today... If you've watched the news in the past week at all, you're aware of what's happening in Afghanistan. And we're not going to get into the political nature of that, but what I want you to think about are the Christians that are left behind, the people that are left behind. But primarily the Christians, and that's the part that I've been following the most in the story. And from many sources of ministries that have people on the ground there, these people know that their lives are at stake at any moment. I read one article, posted it yesterday, you may have seen it, uh, that talked about they were going into homes and if you had the Bible app on your phone, they would kill you immediately. This is happening this week. Tragic. Tragic. But I have to ask, I've also, I've also seen stories of how these people, though they were afraid to die for their faith, would rather die than to accommodate what was going on. They're bold. Bolder than we could ever imagine. To say, we will worship God. We will worship Jesus Christ no matter what you do to us. Contrast that with our own lives. The comforts we enjoy, the freedoms we enjoy, and thank God for the freedoms we have still. But when it's time to be bold, I'm not saying to be a jerk, right? We need way less uh, keyboard, key, keyboard warriors for Christ and just people that are going to love people with the love of Christ. But will we be bold when, when it comes down, when, we're, when things are, all things are put on the line, when we have to make a decision? The third thing, we must not assume that success determines righteousness. Uh, 27 through 30, I'm not going to read it because I'm out of time. But we're going to look very quickly. The, the Danites go, they conquer Laish. They go, they establish uh, not only their businesses, their city, but even their worship. They, they establish all of this and they create essentially a false version that looks almost exactly like what was taking place at the tabernacle in Shiloh. And so they had done this there, but they had syncretized it all and said, Hey, yeah, we'll worship idols, we'll worship gods. And they continue to do this for centuries. And what we see in verse 30, the Danites set up the carved image for themselves. Jonathan, which is the name of the Levite, 
And his sons were priests for the, uh, and, and turns, turns out he is like a grandson, like a great grandson or something of Moses, which just shows us that this uh, Canaanitization of the people of God went through all the people. No one was out of that. Even the, the descendants of Moses were, were so uh, overcome with being like the rest of the surrounding world. And it says that they set up for themselves, in verse 31, Micah's carved image that he had made, and it was there as long as the house of God was in Shiloh. And what we see is that the Danites go conquer, conquer this Canaanite city. They set up all these things and expect God to accept it. And they're so far gone, God just allows them to continue living in the way that they were living and so we must not assume that success determines righteousness. Just because things are going well does not mean that we are necessarily doing the things God wants us to. These people had success. They had all the successes, but they were doing it all wrong. And I think if, if anything, our, our American Christianity, 21st century Christianity, needs to remind ourselves that just because we can draw a crowd, just because enough people can come, does not mean that it is godly, does not mean that it is true worship, does not mean that it is substantive faith in Jesus Christ. How we live our lives matters greatly. How we live our lives Today, tomorrow, every day matters eternally. How we worship God matters. The way we come to God and the way we uh, image God and the way we worship God matters. Will we do this according to our own desires? Or will we worship God for who he is? I'm reminded of the contrast here of Samson and Micah. You remember Samson lived his life in, in a similar way of really apostasy as well. I mean, like God had very little to do with Samson's life. And Samson's eyes were gouged out. He was led astray. He's, his power is gone. God's power completely left him. But in the end, God was gracious and kind to allow Samson to be filled with the Spirit of God once more, one time more. That didn't happen here. Micah turned around and went back to his home, defeated, and we never hear of what God did in his life again. We see the Danite tribe go and live their own way, do whatever they wanted to, and God just left them alone and left them to it. And what I think that helps us to draw out is that the grace and the kindness of Jesus Christ is available to all. But how long will the Lord put that in front of you so that you can follow it, trust it, live your life in that truth? I don't know that we have a guarantee, which means today matters the most.
what we decide today is the most important decision of our lives. We shall not wait. We must not wait. We cannot continue living our lives however we want and just expect God to say, yep, that's okay. One day, he may no longer convict us of the sin in our life or the things that need to change. He may just let us live our life out in those things. While you have breath in your lungs, the fact that you're in this room today shows me that God loves you, Jesus cares for you, and is presenting yourself, presenting himself to you again. I would encourage you, follow as he leads you in this moment. Call out to him. He will save you. No one's too far from the hand of God. I mean, no one's too far from the, from the hand of salvation. If you have breath in your lungs, you can trust him. Will you do that today? Will you follow him today? Will you believe on him today? Let's pray. We're going to sing. And if God is moving in your life, you come as we sing. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Help us to follow you as you lead us in this moment, God. May you speak to our hearts. May we listen. May we follow. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? And as we sing, would you...